His name is Dr. Pran Yoganadan. Um, he's based out of uh, Castle Hill and he's a gastroenterologist and also a hepatologist. Uh, sitting next to me in his sporting attire and not scrubs. Well, scrubs later on. Scrubs later on. Where are you heading to? What are you uh, doing today, uh, Dr. Pran? So I work in a uh, private hospital in Bella Vista. So I've had the morning off so I can come in and have a discussion with you and I'll be heading in there later. Thank you so much for joining us Absolutely. in this new normal. Absolutely. What brought you to even specialise in that area? Was there something, you know, that triggered when you were studying as a medical student and say, hey, I'd like to focus on, you know, that area? That's a great question. Um, I have always been drawn to um, uh, the, the gastrointestinal tract, I suppose, in the, in the sense that um, it's a it's a critical organ system, uh, which I've always innately felt, even as a young doctor, that probably contributed to a lot of our health issues, in particular with what we eat and consume, and um, and, the, and the gut is sort of the gateway uh, for for that for that damage to occur. So I think that drew me to it. In addition, it's a very uh, objective field of medicine uh, because we are able to directly visualise. Um, the, the gut with what we do with colonoscopies and endoscopies, enteroscopies and so forth. So it's a very hands-on uh, specialty uh, which involves partly consulting but also a lot of time spent in theatre uh, doing these procedures. How many do you do in a day? Uh, well, <laughs> it depends. It can be anything upwards of 25 uh, colonoscopies in a, in a full day list or if we're doing a half a day list, up to 12. It can be a, a challenging procedure, a repetitive procedure, so, you know, um, but, but at the same time interesting and mentally and physically. I'm always fascinated with the interplay between genetics and, um, and, and disease. I've always uh, simplified it in the concept that I've used is genetics is sort of a loaded gun and the environment is basically the, um, the, the finger that pulls the trigger, um, so to speak. Uh, I'm fascinated with epigenetic phenomena and the impact of that on disease. Um, so I think we, we do blame genetics a lot for illness, but largely speaking, I'm of the belief, and I'd be interested in Desmond's opinion, that environment is a, is a massive role to play. Um, to, to answer your question of how do we achieve or optimize uh, gut health, I think there's a lot of uh, so-called experts in the field that suggest supplementing and probiotics, prebiotics, symbiotics, all of this sort of stuff. But really, for me, it's relatively simple. I think eat a, eat a diet that is um, what we're built to eat, a human-specific diet, uh, minimizing a lot of the processed foods, understanding the impact of um, the genetic modification of our foods, both animal and plant and fruit-based, and knowing that a lot of these things uh, that exist in nature now are no longer really what nature intended, and uh, and relating that back to the gut, and um, anything that gives you reproductive, mental, physical, um, and um, uh, optimization, I think, is is basically equals good gut health. Um, I'm not a big believer in doing these microbiome-based testing to. Mm -hmm to personalise gut health care for you. you know. what, what did you have for dinner last night? <laughs> what did I have for dinner last night? Um, steak and eggs. That's steak my, and eggs? That's my staple. Any vegetables? 
Um, I did have some fruits. I had a little bit of grapes. I, 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 I did that for pleasure, mm-hmm. not for health reasons. Okay. You know what I mean? I, I just, I'm able to distinguish now that what am I doing for pleasure versus health. I showed my nephew your Instagram and he said to me, you know, Coco, how can he not eat vegetables? That's unhealthy. How can he only eat meat? So for somebody, I mean, would you even want to wear that label that I'm a carnivore? No, uh, look, I I think maybe that is maybe a little bit misconstrued. It's difficult to communicate all your thoughts on social media. But um, what I tend to do is I'm not anti-vegetables and I'll I'll have uh, vegetables um, occasionally, a lot of times just for variety because of the monotony of a high-protein diet. But what I try and do is just maximise and prioritise protein at every meal. Um, a lot of the research shows, and someone like Desmond, you know, looking at his body, that's a fantastic body. Um, yeah. He, he, he um, you know, people like this tend to prioritize protein a lot. And whilst, you know, it can be achieved through plant-based protein, um, you know, you see a lot of people who are, are vegan who can build bodies, but it's very difficult to do. And it has to be heavily supplemented with um, things like pea protein, often performance enhancing drugs and so forth. Um, and, and I don't think that's particularly physiological. And a lot of these plant-based proteins, such as pea proteins, do come with their baggages with, you know, additives and, and, and aspects in food like lectins, which can influence our health longer term. So I think the key message that I've always kind of pushed is prioritise protein, in particular quality protein. Over to you, Nikki. Well, Pran, you're an advocate of self-healing in, in, a, in a way, right? Um, this philosophy of, uh, your philosophy of uh, let food die be medicine, where did this idea came from? Um, well, I can't take credit for it, um, Nikki. Uh, Hippocrates, the father of uh, medicine, stated this um, uh, a long time ago. And um, look, what I'm beginning to understand of the healthcare system is that it, it is, it's, the, it's kind of a, almost a paradox to label it the healthcare system. It's really just a disease care um, uh, model. Um, so you would never voluntarily see your doctor unless it's for a routine health check um, for for health. I mean, you don't go in and say to your doctor, well, look, I'm healthy. What can you do for me? You, you sort of see them when you're in a disease state. So I, I think I think what I've tried to push for is just for people to take responsibility for their own health. Uh, but the difficulty is a lot of people are unaware how to do this anymore. There's so much confusion as to what what health entails. I think we all understand that we need to exercise, and the harder the exercise, the better. Uh, the higher the intensity of it, the better. But what people are now confused about is what is the ideal diet? What entails the ideal diet? And so. Um, what I encourage for, for my, my viewers and my followers and so forth and, and my patients and, and clients is that, that they take responsibility for their own health and, um, and emphasize the role of diet and exercise in their lives. Uh, by doing that, we keep them out of hospital, hopefully, and, and away from the doctor's office and um, basically controlling their own health journey, which I think is wonderful. You know, Dr. Pran, you're, you're definitely um, an advocate of self-healing as, as described in your website. And you, you use the concepts of uh, let food be thy medicine. However, um, not a lot of people believe in that. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very, um, it's very difficult to believe in that concept if you're incentivized by disease. Mm. Um, do you know what I mean? We're, we're, we're paid as doctors not through good health. We're, we're paid through through the burden of disease and illness. So it's um, it's important to realize that, you know, and sorry, did you have a question? No, no I'm just yeah. cautious of what you're saying as mm. a doctor. Mm. How do you even go out there and say that? Um, you know, a, yeah. a cousin of mine shared a Wikipedia page on Wakefield mm -hmm. uh, and he had proclaimed certain things. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the profession, the industry, was not very happy with him. Mm. So how do you maneuver this ocean of information mm -hmm. with, with you as an Instagram um, account, disseminating information every day, a couple of times in a day with 13,500 followers? How do you wade through this information and just make sure that whatever that you're sharing with people is, is it just your own opinion or is it fact-based? How do you make sure that whoever that's listening to you mm -hmm. knows what to take and what not to take? Because there's some sarcasm in it throughout all of the posts. Yeah, yeah. Look, I'm a, I'm a fairly sarcastic personality, I suppose, I've been, I've been told. But it, if I wasn't sarcastic and kind of laughing my way through this, this journey, I'd be crying my way through mm -hmm. this journey. I'm just surrounded by illness. I'm surrounded by sickness. I'm surrounded by... by um, by you know, just sad stories and a lot of these cases it, it is reversible for these people and and indeed preventable um, so I mean I could I could be status quo and 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 continue along with this journey and continue to to earn a wage and run a, a business based on disease or I could I could perhaps incentivize people to take that um, their health into their own hands. I think, I think we live in a new age now and the digital era is upon us, well and truly upon us. And um, it is a way of communicating to the rest of the world. And I think the doctors that, that are um, going to grab this with both hands and, and, and run with it will, will kind of lead the way yeah. uh, versus those that remain in these silos, um, not communicating with the public. And if you've got a message, you should be able to uh, spread it. And my message is not particularly harmful. It's say, eat a, eat a diet that's not rubbish. Mm -hmm. Get out there and, and move your body. And, um, and in between some of these posts, I'll, I'll throw in a bit of science. Um, but too much science can bore the general public. So you've got to keep the message short, simple and sharp. And that's where Desmond comes in, the scientist. Um, do, do you gentlemen have a question for each other at all? Anything you want to ask? A lot of what you say sort of resonates with current medical science. You know, I'm sure you're, you're familiar with or you're aware of, um, they've got this whole P4 medicine. So personalized preventative uh, precision. Uh, I can't remember what the other P is. Uh, medicine and and it's basically about patients actively managing their situation as well because the, the reality is everyone is slightly different you know genetically or whatnot and and they have there is a need for them to understand what their issue is or what their genetics are like or what their propensity is like and then that and then adapt what they need into their lifestyle so yeah absolutely I, I a lot of what you say makes a lot of sense definitely Thank you, Desmond. Yeah, look, I think, I think largely speaking, we've got 
Uh, we've got diseases that are somewhat unique in, in specific people, but the large majority of what I see is, is, is essentially diabetes. It's a pre-diabetic or a diabetic state, which fundamentally is being driven by excess calories. Whilst there might be some nuances and genetic differences in certain racial groups, in particular in the Asian and indigenous groups that, that are prone to um, uh, type 2 diabetes, the fundamental issue remains the same. It's overconsumption of energy and, um, and a disconnect from the acquisition of the food so that they can't burn the energy off. So uh, it all uh, fundamentally comes down to energy balance. And it's, it's, it's really about teaching people to achieve satiety. And I heard the term being used earlier. Um, I learned it from you. Oh, did you? <laughs> achieving <laughs> and Nikki. And the, uh, achieving satiety with the lowest amount of energy, and, th and this is why protein can be such a powerful um, uh, thing, you know, because uh, the caloric value might be low, but the satiety value high. Um, so th this is what we push, and I think applied across the field to most people, that model generally will work. Um, depending on a, a, a few things, but largely speaking, in my experience, that has very, very rarely failed if, if the patients can be adherent. Mm. Um, Nikki, I know that you have been following a, a diet that um, has cut out quite a lot of carbs. Um, I'd like you to s see if there's something that uh, you can ask Dr. Pran, about that path that you're going on? Well, um, Pran, uh, I too have been uh, cutting out carbs for the last, coming to two years right now. And I was just sharing with Desmond just now that um, I feel absolutely great right now after cutting out carbs because um, when I was younger, I used to have IBS and none of that right now. Um, allergies, sinuses, none of that right now. And um, talking about energy, I feel that um, being on a diet where there's pretty much very, very low in carbs, sometimes almost none, because um, at, at days where I'm only eating protein, uh, uh, I, I guess my body is able to go into a gluconeogenesis mode to still produce uh, glucose for it to function well. Um, my question here is that uh, I've been reading about your carnivore diet. As a modern hunter-gatherer, what do you think is your biggest hurdle in foraging for food? Sure. Um, so you're, you're talking about hunter-gatherer hunter societies in the modern world? Yes. Yeah. I mean, they, they rarely exist, of course. Most of them have... Uh, yes gentrification's caught up to all of them and the Western civilization, the Western diet's caught up to most of them. I think it's very difficult to apply um, um, the, the history of the hunter-gatherers to the modern hunter-gatherers. Like if you look at the tribes like the Hazda, very famous group um, in Tanzania, very fit people, uh, these people are limited. They talk of a time 50, 60 years ago where they could hunt with, with uh, free will. They could hunt elephants, they could hunt zebras, wh whatever animal they wanted, kudu. Now there's a lot of uh, restrictions placed on them by government and um, local rangers and so forth because of um, obvious reasons, the decline of um, many animal species in Africa. Um, so these groups are now driven by desperation and they're, they're eating 
primates like baboons, which has never really been on their on their uh, hit list. In addition, they've introduced a lot more plant foods because you can no longer apply it. And you know, we've got to remember that you know the Aboriginals um, uh, came to Australia uh, about fifty to sixty thousand years ago. There's debate about the exact time frame in which they arrived, but everywhere they went, um, there there was mass extinctions of megafauna. Uh, these are the large animals, slow animals, cumbersome to move, often easiest to take down with the highest content of fat. We were fundamentally fat hunters because we existed in an environment where carbohydrates didn't exist. So that 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 word fat, eating fat, yes, to not be fat, yes, you know. The title of this podcast is just so funny because it's called the Kurang Manis, which means less sugar, please. Yeah. And we thought, like, let's just add in the hashtag Tambah Lemak, which in Malay means add more fat, take away the sugar. Yes. Yes, it, um, it, look, it, it needs to be used with caution in the modern world because, I mean, with, with fat, um, it's interesting. I mean, you, can, you see people on ketogenic or low-carb diets put on a lot of weight um, or fail to lose weight, lose weight initially and then plateau on weight because they're still over-consuming energy and that energy is coming from fat. Often refined fats like fat, uh, you know, butter and, and MCT oil and, and so forth. So I'm very cautious about um, advocating a high-fat diet per se. Uh, what I try and teach people is a higher protein diet to at least 40 to 50% of your diet and then managing energy. Um, you know, and that energy can be carbohydrate or fat. It's just easier to consume if the fat's eaten with, with the protein. Uh, for example, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, a steak with some marbling lamb chops or salmon or something like that, rather than adding in fat, such as butter and, and MCT oil. I'm not, a, I'm not a big fan of that type of right. um, eating. I, th I think it's, uh, it is very confusing. I mean, for someone like me, for example, I'm trying to take care of my mom mm. and trying to give her the best so that, you know, we, we've actually successfully taken off uh, her diabetic meds now. Mm. She's off metformin. Excellent. Uh, she's got kidneys like 30, 30%. It was 23%. Mm -hmm. We're trying. Mm -hmm. We're trying very hard. Mm -hmm. uh, and with family and friends, uh, Nikki also, reading up a lot and... But we're not trying to be the Dr. Google. Mm -hmm. We are listening to people like yourselves, Doctor, um, on what you're saying. And also joining us now live from KL is Puppy Zach, uh, stand-up comedian, third culture kid. Puppy's actually travelled all over the world as a child and also is the icon of a potato chip company. Oh, wow. So uh, we love this juxtaposition. Um, and we're trying, we're trying to see what is going to happen when we get all of these gentlemen in the same room together with us two everyday ladies who are just trying to live right. So um, yeah, hi, Papi, how are you? Hey, Jasmine, how you doing? How you doing, Nikki? Hey, Papi, how are you? All right. Okay. Good morning, I guess. <laughs> yes, it is. So, Puppy is in training to be a wrestler. Oh, wow. He's, he's still a novice, I understand. He doesn't want to show too many videos or... So, yeah, Puppy... You're... I'm starting to wonder if you if you have me on the right show because you got Dr. Pran over here and Desmond all in, like, their six-packs and everything. And I'm, like, feeling left out. Like, oh, yeah. 
actually, I have one question for for Pran, because um, you're a gut doctor, right? Um, there's this big thing that we've we've always grown up that uh, we've been told that you have to you have to eat your vegetable, you have to eat your vegetable, you need your fiber, otherwise you can you're not going to be able to go to the loo, you know. So maybe you can shed some light on fiber. Sure. I think um, a lot of the studies that have been conducted in the last 40, 50 years in the fields of nutrition have uh, compared the standard Western diet with a high fiber diet, which is rich in plant foods and vegetable foods. They've done um, studies on Seventh-day Adventists and so forth, which is a very select group. Um, that that, are, that do live very healthy, but are vegetarian, of course. And uh, compared to the the um, standard Western diet, the plant-based diets will always be superior uh, because the standard Western diet is largely speaking rubbish. Um, so uh, th- what, what has been pushed is a high fiber diet in comparison to that, but is that optimal for us? And I'm not too certain because the data is certainly mixed. What we tend to see in clinical practice is those with excessive levels of fiber um, actually can have um, excess in the way of fermentation in the hindgut or colon and part of the byproduct of that fermentation is methane hydrogen and nitrogen which <laughs> which are gases which can which yeah. can certainly slow down gut motility cause reflux cause bloating all very very common things that are then labeled as IBS so really what is evident to me is that we we're fundamentally a species of ape that learned to hunt and our colon over the last 4.4 million years had to adjust um, to to that new mode of of living. Of course, in the last 6,000 years, we learned to farm. And again, um, uh, that that resulted in some adjustments. But uh, what we live in a we live in a a construct which allows for something called evolutionary mismatch. We're out of out of keeping with with how we evolved. And so a lot of these gut issues translate to that. So fiber in my perspective is not harmful per se, but overstated in terms of um, its nutritional value, it has no nutritional value. It's just the bacteria in our gut break it down to liberate fat. So I want you to think about that for a second, Nikki. We are utilizing bacteria in our gut um, to break down fiber to release something called short chain fatty acid, a type of ketone called butyrate, which that the colonic cells utilize. But perhaps uh, a better way might be to generate the fat ourselves, either through our adipose tissue or by eating the fat without all the byproduct of fermentation. Because we could still generate beta-hydroxybutyrate if, if we're on a fat-adapted diet. 100%. Be- beta what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, this is when it starts getting really nerdy, doesn't it? Beta-hydroxybutyrate. <laughs> yeah, uh, listen to you guys. Yeah, oh. <laughs> but, but that's exactly right. So beta-hydroxybutyrate is, is generated over uh, by many multiples above what butyrate can be generated in the hindgut. Um, and it actually perfuses your enterocytes and colonocytes, which are the cells lining the gut mm. through your systemic yeah. circulation, then locally produced butyrate in the colon. Um, it's just a very inefficient way of doing it. In addition, if you're going to deal with fiber, you need the machinery. And this is why you see that, uh, you know, our primate cousins like the chimps and gorillas tend to have a very thick hind gut, very big um, belly. Uh, that's not fat or visceral fat. That is simply machinery to be able to deal with this rough fibrous tissue. Um, that, that's not my theory. That is a, that is a scientific fact. Um, and it's called the expensive tissue hypothesis. It, it's what makes us special in, in, in terms of our species. Our brains grew in response to a shrinking gut. Mm. I'm getting visuals. 
It's good. <laughs> so um, as we sort of uh, seal off this interview with Dr. Pran, because we need to get you know, Dr. Pran out of here so he can go back to his operating theatre. Um, uh, Papi, do you have any curious questions for Dr. Pran? I'm just wondering. Oh, um, actually, it's not as... Uh, <clears throat> I don't think it's a smart question, but it's it's a curious kind of question. <laughs> How's your uric acid with like uh, all the red meat that you intake? And, I mean, uh, do, you, do you have gout? I doubt you have gout. You look no, that, that, it's it's not a dumb question at all, Papi. It's a great question, actually. Um, so thank you for bringing it up. Um, uric acid, generally in those that are commenced on a high-protein diet, in particular if it's rich in red meat, will go up in the initial phases. But uh, what the kidney does, it, it, it just adjusts. It just adjusts and the levels will normalize very quickly. What the way we've got to start looking at gout, it's actually not a separate illness to metabolic syndrome or obesity. It's all part of the same spectrum. So you'll find the gout generally tends to coexist in people that have issues related to their metabolic health. Often in people that are overweight, the gout tends to be far more common. So whilst it's pushed as a disease of uric acid, it's actually much more than that. It is a disease of metabolic syndrome. And by improving your metabolic health, um, gout is something that is very rapidly reversible rather than uh, to be medicated on. I was talking to Desmond about um, I used to have pain and um, even though I wasn't overweight, I've never been overweight. Uh, there's this uh, syndrome where you're skinny, yet you're inflamed metabolically not well. Yes. Um, so I was having like a bone edema and that was really concerning. And I realized that um, I was having metabolic issues. Yeah, look, uh, but if you were to do a, meta, uh, a body composition scan and people like that, that may not look all that fat, they tend to carry visceral fat, the insides light up. And these uh, adipocytes are activated and often releasing and pumping out cytokines such as TNF-alpha and interleukin-6 and uh, various other uh, pro-inflammatory cytokines. So people just feel inflamed and often you can pick it up on a blood test simply by doing something called a high sensitivity CRP. Even though they've got no overt disease, these tend to be elevated and it's actually a marker of cardiac risk. So uh, body composition scans are very, very useful. Um, especially in those that are of an Asian or indigenous background, um, whereas those that originated in these climates in Northern Europe tend to have less in the way of visceral fat. They tend to carry fat under their skin, uh, more a sort of um, protection from the environment, uh, the cold in particular. So they tend to carry the weight well. And this is why diabetes rates in Asia are so much higher uh, and in Africa so much higher than these in Northern Europeans because they, they will generally uh, grow outwards rather than grow inwards and growing inwards that 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 is a major issue uh, a big problem you know dr pran um we we both actually started on this journey because we were doing some research and writing an article and you know um malaysia right now has a huge obesity problem uh not just obesity problem but ncd problem where i'm hearing stories of friends who are getting um amputations done yeah. Uh, kidney issues is just endless. And you know what? In our research, our intern Sneha, who is from Monash University, uh, but she's in KL right now, and also CC, our editor, they uncovered this uh, statistics that in Australia, 
nine out of ten deaths are from a non-communicable disease. Yes. That's shocking. It is shocking. I mean, fundamentally, what killed us as humans before the agricultural era was infection. Um, now we have no longer know how to die from infection. Uh, we die from uh, non-communicable diseases, mm. such as Alzheimer's disease, with poor quality of life for many years preceding it. Um, so in hunter-gatherer societies that live the way we used to live infection claims them at their at their st at the extremes of life either when they're very young and the immune system's not quite uh, mature or when they're elderly uh, when the immune system's worn out we've um, we no longer know how to die from infection and perhaps that is a good thing but you just have to look at what is occurring with covid-19 to know that um, infections a great deal we know it it's foreign to us it uh, we we don't recognize it as a threat anymore and the fact that it is here um, and, and a pandemic, um, it, it's really thrown everyone off. But yet we do not um, blink at, at, at the number of people dying of the burden of diabetes. Um, you know, we don't we don't think twice about that. Yet the burden's far greater. So it's a it's a wonderful reminder of where society's a wonderful but a sad reminder of where society is at the moment. What needs to change? Uh, it's very difficult. Uh, look, from my perspective, I'm, I'm very cynical. I'm not all that positive about the future because we've got a growing population. It's very difficult to feed this population. In particular, it's very difficult to feed them quality because quality is associated with expense. So um, unless things change at a government level, unless we can embrace the concept of regenerative farming to sequester carbon and help our farmers do this um, uh, ethically and better, uh, I think we are really really in, 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 in a world of trouble. And I think the people that will suffer are those with the means not to be able to, one, access the information necessary and also, number two, the food required to be able to uh, achieve health. Well, we are hoping definitely to translate this interview and get it out there to as many people as possible through our website, asiafitnesstoday.com. We, we actually get about 80% visitors coming from Indonesia. And as we all know, Indonesia is like um, close to 300,000, uh, 300 million population. Uh, there's a lot of people there who, who do need help. And we have a, a chat bot on the website. And most of the people that ask us questions would be, Dear Miss, what is the calorie of this? So it's all about calories, right? So that's where we, we, we're thinking now, calories, intake and then output, caloric intake. When we first met, you told uh, Nikki and I about BMI, yes. that it was not really uh, an accurate measure. It's a, it's a surrogate measure. It's a rough measure. In, in certain groups, you can't apply it. I mean, you could take someone who's a front rower for a rugby team whose BMI can be, you know, uh, 30 plus or 40 plus. And, and, I'm and, 30 plus. And, 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 and say, look, uh, perhaps they're not, not healthy, but they are. These are extremely insulin-sensitive insulin people. It's just the muscle bulk that they carry. And some people carry fat extra visceral as in under their skin um, and, and these people can be extremely healthy um, so it's not about the aesthetics of how they look it really is about very very objective metrics that we need to start adjusting to BMI is a very very rough tool yeah I think um, when when we started on this project we uh, we we had Uwe um, who is a very famous film director in Malaysia he was one of the judges and he said to us because the word kurang manis 
in Malay doesn't only mean less sweet, it also means impolite. So he reminded us to not do any fat shaming, which is why, Papi, we, we, we spoke to you because we wanted to get that other perspective. You guys picking on me already? What? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel, I feel good. I feel healthy. Um, it's, it's sometimes, um, well, I was, I, I remember when I was uh, at a point where I was about, uh, about 160 kilos and I'll just go one flight upstairs and, uh, you know, I'll be out of breath or just, uh, just a simple walk to like, uh, I, I live in a con, the simple walk to the, to the lobby would, uh, would cause my, my body to sweat. But I generally sweat a lot anyway. But yeah, but still, you know, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, there was there, there was a transformation that I I went through that I when I realized that, uh, um, you know, I, I was very unhealthy. I was uh, living off of uh, um, Coca Cola for for uh, like I I had like four cans per meal, and I was having like you know three four meals throughout the whole day. Yeah, Desmond's like, what the hell? Yeah, I haven't had soft drinks since I was a teenager. So yeah, I, I, so, yeah. I was like, this guy. So Puppy um, used to host um, a, a travel uh, show, a very funny travel show. I love catching that. Um, Puppy, do you have any last questions for Doctor Pran before we say goodbye? Uh, no, actually, I was just uh, I was very curious about his uh, his lifestyle, and then that's. Uh, and I personally just had my blood checked and, and my health checkup and my cholesterol and my uric acid was kind of high, uh, understandable because, um, you know, like, like uh, you said, Dr. Prana, I was, I was on a very uh, heavy protein diet. And so I was just wondering, like, how do you like decrease it? Uh, look, it's it, the Papi. It's a very complicated thing. But someone who's on a low carbohydrate uh, diet, the interpretation of the cholesterol uh, results is very, very different. Um, so, someone like me, I'm, I'm extremely insulin sensitive. Um, all the metrics are good, but my total cholesterol is high. Right, and mm -hmm. and um, whilst that concerns a lot of my colleagues, the reality is the modern evidence doesn't show that's associated with ill health at all. There's other metrics to measure cardiovascular health, so I would encourage you to get a baseline coronary artery calcium score, which is a non-invasive tool that'll tell you how much calcific damage, which is a surrogate marker for for heart disease, rather than worry about a total cholesterol. Some of the fittest people I know and the healthiest people I know have a cholesterol that is outside or above reference range. We've also got to remember that 80% of heart attacks that present to hospital with their first heart attacks do so with a normal or low cholesterol. It is a poor marker for any form of health. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about it. Um, but, but you know, do, do the due diligence. Uric acid should normalize over time. I think the diet that gets you leanest um, is a high-protein diet without question. The literature would back me on that. So if, if the diet gets you lean, how could it be... Um, how could it be negative in any way? So I think you just have confidence and go forth and, um, and, and um, yeah, don't worry too much about the metrics. It's about how you feel. Thank you, Dr. Pran. Um, I think on that note, we'll, we'll let uh, Pran go and follow him on his Instagram. Do you want to do a little plug? 
Oh no! Look, it's just a it's just a way for me to vent my frustration, get some knowledge out. I think it's living in a digi- digital era. I think it is important to have some fo- form of digital footprint. So, but but I'm happy if you guys wanted to follow me. It's uh, Dr. Pranjaganathan on Instagram and Facebook. And what's your ultimate favorite food? Uh, st- steak and eggs. Really? <laughs> a boring guy. <laughs> oh, you're like me, Pran. <laughs> Say something about vegans. Well. Yeah. That's right. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you. I'll Thank do a little fist bump. Thank you. Take care. Thank so nice to meet Take you. Take care, Pran. Thanks for coming. It's so immensely rewarding to meet with people so fired up with passion and strong purpose that when you're in their company, even an ant could feel like they could change the world. I've been in the presence of these magnificent humans and have witnessed how so amazing they are, leaving a trail of light for those who follow the path. And this is the aspiration of the Kurangmanis podcast to bring you conversations with persons from Asia and Pacific who are world-class at their vocation and share their path to mastery, their daily habits, their new normal, and how they strive to leave a legacy for others to continue on. Join us on our next episode as we speak with yet another inspiring guest. Could it be you, perhaps?